good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church on this beautiful day. It's uh, good to be back. Terry and I were gone for a while, and so you guys got blessed with our absence. So now, can't get rid of a bad penny, I'm back. So, we're going to uh, lift up the name of Jesus this morning. God, just sing and play through us, sing through your people, God, may you be honored by this. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross, love so amazing, love so is Oh, 
church we do have a good father praise his name you know I was thinking this morning that um, I am blessed to be a father of a teenager <laughs> can you other parents of teenagers say that <laughs> we are blessed we are blessed but one of the things that I realized that was a blessing is I got to be a passenger so he was driving and I got to sit there and I was thinking as I was sitting there at halfway up the hill um, you know, the trees were frosted from the fog, and each needle was just perfectly coated in white, and I, I just had time to reflect and to worship and say, God, you're amazing. <laughs> you're amazing how you create uh, such beauty, and so um, just, a, just a beautiful reminder that there's beauty all around us, and I guess my prayer this morning is that, God, you would help me to see your beauty, to see your goodness. And so um, I trust that for you today, that today would be a day that you can see the goodness of the Lord because he is so good and so worthy of worship. Well, this morning, uh, as, we, uh, as we gather, I, I want to welcome anyone who's new uh, with us. Uh, such a joy to have you uh, here to worship with us. There's a little card in front of you of your seat, and I would invite you to uh, take that and fill that out if, uh, if you would like. And that gives us a chance to uh, begin a dialogue with you and to share about Rimrock, and we would love to, to hear from you as well. And there's a gift for you in the Welcome Center uh, if you would like to turn that in. So uh, this is a special season for us as followers of, of Jesus. Uh, we believe the most important event in all of history uh, was the resurrection, uh, that God became man, and we celebrate that at Christmas. But then as we uh, come up to Easter as Christians, we have an opportunity to reflect and to be a witness to this world of the reality of the resurrection. Now, here's the cool thing. We're going to be in the book of Revelation on Easter Sunday because Revelation is ultimately a story about resurrection because <laughs> we serve a resurrection God. And so we're right now in the midst of the dark and the and the, the difficult things of Revelation, of God's judgment, but, but that's not the last word. God's last word is not judgment, it's resurrection, amen? <laughs> so Good Friday, we're going to be right here in this room at 6.30, and, uh, and we're going to have a really special service where we're going to worship, we're going to take communion, but we're also 
believing that there's going to be baptisms. We already have a handful of people who've said they want to be baptized. And baptism is our, our greatest witness as a, as a people of God that it's just not, a resurrection isn't just somewhere out there. It's a reality for us that God's taking our sin, our brokenness, our darkness, and he's transforming us. He's making us into new people. And so every time we get baptized as the people of God, we're, we're testifying to the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and the new life that he wants to give us. And so um, if you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized, would you pray about uh, taking that step of obedience? Uh, Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world, all the nations, and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we want to be obedient to that command that Jesus gave to his church. And so if, uh, if God's stirring you, come talk to me, come talk to one of the pastors, and we'd love to talk to you more about that. So Easter Sunday, we're going to be uh, at the monument, at the monument theater with our downtown campus all together at 10 a.m. And I think there's some invitation cards when you come in. Would you pray about uh, who God would maybe have you invite to come and uh, so they can hear the, the good news that God is a resurrection God and that he wants to not only uh, resurrect each person, but he's going to resurrect all of creation. Everything's going to be made new. And so the beauty that we see right now in creation it's going to be even better. Can you believe that? It's going to be even better because God is making all things new. All right, one last uh, announcement before we continue worship. Uh, Ikalaka is a, is a camp that we, in, in Montana, that we've been part of as a church for many years, and that's coming up April 28th to 30th. So there's some uh, forms. Uh, I've gone two, I think two times with my kids. I'm planning on going again this year with two of my kids, and it's an awesome time. You can either just send your kids, or you can come, uh, and it's an, it's an awesome time uh, just to, to be together and enjoy uh, each other, but also grow in our faith. Um, Tom uh, prepared something really special for us, so I'm going to ask that we would stand all together. Um, throughout church history, there's been a way of worship that I think is really important, and we call it call and response. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to practice that this morning right out of the book of Revelation. I think, Alana, we have it on the screen. And so there's going to be a part here that I'm going to read, and then let's respond to what God says. Um, so the small text is for me. Is that right, Tom? The small text is for you, okay. and then the big text is for us to get rowdy and respond, because like, okay. we're in heaven. Okay. okay. Right okay. now, <laughs> it says in the word, we're seated in the heavenlies, right? So, Amen. So, uh, yeah, Amen. the worship team is going to help you guys in the response. Ben's going to read the first part. This is directly out of uh, Revelation chapter 19, the first six verses. Awesome. Okay. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great, great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down, and they worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all of you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. 
for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory.
what the end is, God, that you are victorious and we are victorious because of you.
give the Lord a clap offering. God, thank you. Praise your name, God. Would you look around just for a second and say hello to somebody who's next to you, especially someone you've never met. up let's just sing that chorus together one more time just with a little piano and a voice maybe some flute well let me turn my voice off if you're gonna sing out uh, you're you're fine they've got you muted we're good everybody's safe (laughs) oh praise the name of the lord I know, it's been a while, Darcy. As you were singing those songs, and I don't know if this happens to you like it does me, but there might be maybe two lines in a song that just humble me. It's almost like my knees bend just hearing those words. And when that ever happens to you, and you hear something, whether it's in the worship and the music that's coming, and, and there's something that just stumbles your na- knees and makes them shake and stuff. I encourage you, think on that. And I'm not offended if you block me out as we go. I believe the Spirit of God knows you and knows me and knows what we need. And so when those things happen, at the end of today, we're going to realize that there is a truth given all through the scriptures, and the truth is that we are not as accountable to those things we do not know. But when something has been lifted and the veil has been lifted off and you know it, now we're deeply accountable. It even refers to it in the book of Luke that the one that knows what to do and does not respond has harsh discipline, but the one that didn't know and didn't respond simply got a hand spank. So if something happens today and something's lifted off and the veil is lifted off your eyes in some way, uh, I just encourage you, respond. Respond. I a lot of times get up here, and Ben, I've always kind of, uh, not cursed, but I've always said, why did you give me this hard topic? And then he gives me probably one of the easiest, the most exciting topics today. This is an unbelievable portion of scripture. There, it's what we've all been waiting for. God said, I've set eternity in your hearts that you would long for this, and yet you won't be able to reach it here. And yet today we're going to realize that that which is longing in your heart, that deep ache in your heart, we're going to talk about that and how it's realized there can't be any better news. There can't be any better news. We're going to look at the book of Revelation, 
and we're going to start with chapter 1, or I mean chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to kind of just take it a, a bit at a time, but we're going to read the whole portion because I think there's just nothing uh, that should be left out here. After these things, I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven singing, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory, power belong to our God. Because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. He's avenged the blood of the bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants who fear him, and the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of great multitudes and the sound of many waters and as the sound of the mighty pearls and thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns, the Almighty reigns. I want to pause here. If you did not get a chance to listen to the message last week, uh, I didn't get to hear you downtown, but Evan did a tremendous job in setting the stage for what we're going to look at today. We look at this, uh, this harlot or Babylon, and he did a great job of displaying what it was, but I think if you and I get a picture of what Babylon is and, and what it actually is that's going to be put to death, you could not but say out and sing out and shout out hallelujah to really know what actually is going to happen at this time. Because the, the word Babylon basically is taken from the word Babel. And the word babble basically is to babble against God, to set oneself up against God. There's a verse in Psalm 12 that says, With our tongues we will prevail. Our lips are our own. My life is my own. Who could be Lord over me? And you think, oh, what an arrogant thing. People, this is the world system today. This world that we live in, our nation, our city, our school systems, sometimes even our churches. And they have lifted themselves up and says, we know how to live life and we won't let a God be over us. So as you look at this, the world system is Babylon. It is a system that is against God. It's all over. It's been operating for history. I'm not going to go into detail because Evan did a great job of what that really means. But I do want you to know what does that mean to us and what effect does it have on us if I had the privilege of sitting with you and visiting for 20 minutes you would share with me some of your deepest struggles and you would share with me some of your hardest fights on this world planet and your whatever you're struggling with there is one of three or all three of these enemies that are out to destroy you and they're out to put you down. Number one is there is a world system that is constantly calling in to our minds and telling us things that are not true. It says the world system is behind, or behind the world system, is the liar who has 
a, a purpose of deceiving us and deceiving his people. And the world system is telling you and I all these different things and the pressure of everything you hear and everything you read and all the things that you have that you fight with. It can be what you're striving for, this performance and pressure of having to be wealthy and getting a security or having the appearance of your body be a certain way or having people accept you or like you. Whatever your personal struggle might be, that world system is screaming at you day in and day out. Even in your dreams, it says it comes to you. Do you know that this world system, the Babylon, is going to go away? You're never going to have that enemy fight after you again. I don't know about you, but I just think, unbelievable. You mean we will have a life without all of this keeping yelling at us? So I have to continually, in hard work, renew my mind, say, no, this cannot be true, this must be true, this cannot be true, this must be true. As I sit up here, there's also another area that it says is going to be done away with, and we're going to read to that in just a minute. You have the world system, you also have your programming of your flesh. It's the way that you grew up and learned the things you learned. And your flesh patterns have the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That is going to not be there ever again. You mean that struggle that you're besetting sin struggle or that area you can't control your tongue when you try or that anger that just keeps popping up or that lust that can't be, whatever yours might be, that is never going to be there again. I mean, somebody says, wouldn't it be neat just to live forever? And I thought, not a fact, kept alive. I will never have to fight that struggle again. Truth will be fully known, and there will not be the battle between right and wrong, and I don't have to renew my mind. It will be fully renewed. It says, as the outer man's decaying day by day, the inner man is being renewed moment by moment. This portion of Scripture that we're going to get to is that portion in time. You're going to see this. And the other enemy is Satan and the demonic powers in this world. If, if you don't believe it, it is true. They're all over, and Satan has a plan to destroy you, and he's a liar, and he's a deceiver, and there are demonic forces that are going to be here. In Revelation 20, 10, you're going to find out, and I don't know who's got that, if you do, Ben, but you're going to find out that not only is the world system destroyed, not only is your flesh patterns destroyed, Satan will be bound up with all the demons and principalities and powers of darkness thrown into a pit and burned forever and ever. There'll never be any more satanic whispering in your ears. This would be a really good time to say hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know if this came across, but my wife and I talk often about this. We sit there and think, can you? I mean, I can't even phantom. The word in the Bible says it is a mystery. That word mystery means it's something that's a mystery that can't be understood, can't be comprehended by your mind or by other people. It can only be revealed when the lid's taken off. I don't know necessarily the full context of this, but I can tell you this. With those three enemies being gone, no wonder they said over and over and over, hallelujah, and fell with their faces. They were done fighting. Do you just want to stop fighting in this world sometimes? Whether it's your body and sickness or the fights of your mind or with other people or relationships, to never have that again. That's setting the scene for what now is about to come. 
I hope you get that picture. That day is coming, and we should anticipate that day. We look forward to, oh, wow, finally what I was designed for. Matter of fact, it even says in Romans 8, it says that not only you, not only me, but every animal, every plant that's ever grown, every grass, every tree, every mountain, it says they're waiting for that day when they get to fully express themselves the way they were purposed to express themselves. That's why this longing in us and this ache in us is, oh, I can't wait. I mean, I'd like to kind of add one thing to hallelujah is, Maranatha, come now. I'm done with this. Say, for here's the next thing. And I, this is the part that I think is one of the greatest truths. Let's go in verse 7. Let us rejoice then and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride or his wife has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he's blessed, and he said to me, write these things. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who holds the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I can't go into it. We don't have the time today because I feel God has put a portion of this on my mind to share with you. But if you have never studied the story of the bride and your husband, and it says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, Paul says, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid the serpent's deceiving you, and he's cunning. And he's cunning your thoughts, and they'll be led astray for the sincere, pure devotion to Christ your husband. And then in Ephesians he says that he might sanctify her. That's her, the church, the bride. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And that he might present to him the church in all her glory. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. For that she would be holy and blameless. This is a mystery and it is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. I don't understand this mystery. I've tried to figure it out in my small little mind, and I can be very creative. Those around me know that I can think outside the box. But I'm sitting here thinking, okay, we know that the body of Christ is the, I mean, the, the bride or the wife is the body of Christ, that those that have responded to the call of the invite of Christ in their life. I know that as a corporate whole. I also know in the scriptures, in uh, I think it's Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 14, it says that each member, we're all members of one body. We all have our individual part. There's something that is true about you individually stepping in to appreciate this marriage to your husband Christ. You were designed for this. This is the whole purpose of all of the stuff in the whole book is that this day would come where he will come back and bring his bride, his wife, to himself. And yet somehow we're corporately that way. 
as you're going to see also, I don't know if you have that one too, in Revelation 21, but it says, He came and He wanted to show me the bride. And He came and He showed Him the city of Jerusalem being let down, which is the bride of Christ. I don't understand that. I can't make sense out of it. But I want to tell you there's two things that are very important that we have some, at least, responsibility to understand. First, we sang about, and we just read about, the white linen of the saints. And we're going to touch on that later. But the first thing is that there are the white robes. What was our song here? I just saw the words there. It says, return in robes of white. What are these robes of white? Why was it at the banquet that, that was in Matthew where they gave the illustration of the banquet feast and the guy prepared this incredible dinner and he had the finest of everything, of all the drink and all the wine and all the food and all the desserts and he set the table and he said, now go invite people to come. And remember, many didn't come. And then he got in there and he walked in there and there were people in there and one person was not wearing the right garment. And he said, what are you doing not wearing the right garment? And he kicked him out. You think, well, that's pretty stiff. The white garment is a garment of self-merit. The white, I mean the white garment, the, the robe he wore, the garment he wore was self-effort. God said, nobody gets in here on self-effort. Nobody gets in here on what you do and what you have and what you possess. The only people in here are those that bent their knee and somehow came when I called them. I want you to listen to a clip that I got. And the clip is by Pastor Beggs. And basically, he's a British guy, so you got to listen carefully to the words. But I want you to listen to this of what it takes to have the white robe. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. And think about the thief on the cross. Oh, what an immense... I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did, 
just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And and what about but let's just go to the doctrine of scripture in these things. This guy is just there. And eventually in frustration he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now that's the that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me, and as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God the justice satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther said most of your Christian life is outside of you. In this sense, that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions. But we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. I don't know. The man in the middle said, come. We make it so complicated. The scriptures put that where the white robes of the saints is an arrowist tense. What that basically means, it was a thing done to you in the past. It was something done to you. And when you come to heaven, it isn't going to be something about whether what you did, it's going to be, I don't know. The man in the middle said, come. And I came. That's the first step. But this part goes on and it says it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen. The fine linen, I want to spend the rest of our time visiting about the fine linen because I think it's crucially important that you understand something. I think it's uh, really important that in the doctrine of you getting the white robe and coming here, you had nothing to do with it. You were invited to the feast. By nothing you did, not anything you act like, somehow the foundation before this world was formed, God looked out, knew that you would be born, and said, I'm inviting him, I am inviting her to the feast. We either accept it as a thief on the cross, because a thief could have been when he finally stopped and finally realized what was beside him, and he says, quiet, this man's done nothing wrong. There's way more in that statement than we just hear. He knew at that time there was no sin ever in this man. And for some reason, not knowing all the doctrines and all the doxologies and all the right answers, he just recognized it. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. You will come. And he simply responded, I'll be there. I'll come. 
So now we look at the fine linens. The fine linens are the deeds of the saints, and I want to spend some time here because there will be another judgment seat. That first one, you and I are not going to go ahead and have to be judged. That's the one that it's the ones that have the white robe. That is you and I that have responded to this wedding feast, and we've came to the feast on nothing on our merit. We are moved over. We are not judged. Those that did not have white robe because they chose, they could get there either on their own efforts or they were the world system and said, I don't need a God. I don't want a God. I don't want anything to do with a God. And in a very vulgar way, they basically cursed God, said, I will never follow him. They will be judged at that time. You and I, as Ben said two weeks ago, this is great news. We don't have to be there for that. But then there is one other judgment seat, and that's where it says the deeds will basically be laid out, those that were done or that are good and those that were done were bad. And those things that were done that were good will remain, and you and I will have those, and we'll go into that a little bit, but those that were done that were bad will be consumed and burned up. And what is that? I want you to do yourself a favor. I can't think of, I, I, I redo this about once a year, and I don't intend to do it once a year, it just comes to me once a year. I want you to remind yourself to take the Gospel of John, starting with chapter 5, and just kind of sit back, instead of getting in and diagnosing every word and trying to think of what's the Greek and what was it meant and stuff, just get back and read chapter 5 through chapter 17 of John. You're going to see something that is absolutely remarkable. You're going to see Jesus over and over and over again revealing something that he wanted to do. The end verse that we read was because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He is prophesying something, and what does he say his testimony is? I am to testify solely to my Father. And he starts in five, and you'll see it just in and out, weaved in and out, and he's telling his disciples. To me, it's almost like, Delbert Dom, how do you not get this? And then God said, how many years did it take you to even see it? And I'd read this over and over and over again. And so let me give you a picture. This is not new news to you. If you've been coming to this church, you have heard this over and over and over again. Jesus is living on this earth not as God. Although he is God, it says in Philippians 2, he did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself of that right and that divine power and became a human being. And as a human being, he became a servant. He never lived off of that. And I know a lot of you, when you read the scripture and say, well, Oh, yeah, Jesus did that. But he, he was God. He cheated. I tell you, people, he did not cheat. He lived fully human. And all he said for those seven chapters was this. I do nothing on my own. Not one thing am I going to do that you're going to see that's from me. Everything you hear me say, my Father has just given me the power to say, and my Father has spoken through me to you. Everything you hear me, see me do. When he raised the boy from the dead, that was not Jesus raising the boy from the dead. That was the father's compassion for that boy and his, and his desire to raise him from the dead. And Jesus yielded his life and said, Father, let's have it. 
live through me, and you go ahead and heal the boy. I get to be united with you, a part of you. That's why he says, I will do nothing on my own effort. Not one thing will you see me do that is not done in union with my father. He repeats it over and over and over again. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch will never be able to bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither will you ever unless you abide in me and I in you. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who speaks in me has given me the commandment as to what to say, what to speak, what to do, and his commandment is always eternal life, folding from love. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And then I command you to let me love one another through you. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says this. On verse 11, from no man can lay a foundation other than the one that was laid, which is Jesus Christ alone. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. In essence, here's what it's going to say to you and me, is that the enemy says in 2 Corinthians even chapter 11, it says, Satan is a liar, he is a deceiver, he's always going to lie to you, he's always going to deceive you, and it says, don't be surprised if his servants are angels of light, and they disguise himself with deeds of righteousness, deeds of doing right things. His purpose is to get you and me to act independent of Jesus. You've already been asked, what did you do with Jesus Christ? And the majority of you have said, yes, I will come. This is saying, what are you doing with the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God that dwells inside you for the purpose that somehow you would be a reflection in the same way that Jesus was reflecting the Father. When Philip said, Jesus, just show us the Father, and we'll, that'll be enough for us. We'll be satisfied if you show us the Father. And he says, oh, Philip, Philip, I've been with you this long. You don't understand. Anybody that's seen me has seen the Father, for the Father and I are one. We operate in one. And then in about three uh, chapters later, he said, you guys are all grieving because I told you I'm leaving. If you knew what I was trying to expose to you and what I was trying to reveal to you in the mystery of what I was showing you, that the Father and I are one and I do nothing but what the Father does through me, you would rejoice that I'm going away because I'm standing here with you now, but then if I go away, I will be able to come and send the Holy Spirit will come and live in you in the same manner that the Father lived in me. And you will be able to be a reflection of the life of me. Now, I don't know about you, but that is very scary when somebody says, Ben, just show us Jesus, and we'll be okay up here. Will you just show us Jesus, and that's what we want you to do up here. And you say, have you been with you so long, Bill, and you don't understand? He that has seen me has seen Jesus. Because 
I want to do nothing but what the Father, what Jesus and the, through the Holy Spirit does through me and pours out. I want to do nothing and say nothing but what the Holy Spirit does to me and pours out. And as that begins to do, you and I become no longer written on tablets of stone for people to see, but the life of Jesus seen through human beings and human hearts. Time is running out, so let me just give you something to think about and something to ponder on. What does this look like? How do you do it? My dad, who has passed away in a few years back, every once in a while we'd be talking, he says, this, it's just a mystery of this Holy Spirit thing. And it is. It is a mystery. Let me show you what this looks like in the best of my ability. My, my, where my walk is today, in this hour of my life, given basically close 70, close to 70 years old, is it's no longer wrapped up in all the doctrines. Doctrine's important because it helps you know where you're going. It's no longer wrapped up in if I can explain this or that. My days are spent now the best that I can to say, Father, I, I do not want to act independent of you one minute in this day. I'm going to be so tuned in to what your Holy Spirit is wanting to do and wanting to love through me. And if, if I can somehow then respond to whatever it is when I hear that and know that, and people, you know this, it's not a mystery to you. Sometimes in your heart, don't you get this just ache that says, you need to go to Greg and just tell him what, what a neat guy he is. Don't you get that sometimes? That's the Holy Spirit saying, I want to tell Greg he's a good guy. I'm going to close with an illustration here. And then I want you, after the illustration, I want you to at least have a warning to this. As you begin to experience this and you begin to do this, I know we're going to fail. Every day I fail. And he says, I'm mind, God says, I'm mindful that you guys are human beings and you're but dust. He says, but do you get back up again? Are you willing to admit and say, oh, the, I, I fell. The righteous man falls seven times, but he keeps getting back up and saying, God, I operated out of myself independent of you today. Thank you that when you hung on that cross and you stood out there and said, Bill, it is finished. You forgave me for that forever, and you'll never hold that against me again. It isn't the fact that you and I get this perfect, because you won't. There are just occasional times that it might happen. Let me give you one occasional time. Now, some of you, this may just startle. Maybe it'll do you good to think about it. But I remember we just took a trip, and we went down to Florida to see uh, Dan Lornell Hagerty and Tom and Terry were down there, so we went down to do that. And my oldest son, or my oldest grandson, uh, he, uh, he was going to go down and see one of his best friends, which was Adam Hagerty's son. So we took him with us. So we basically are planning the trip, and, and I've got uh, plane tickets, and I get them ahead of time, and I've got, I'm sitting here, and Nancy, my wife, is sitting here, and Griffin is sitting next to her, and, uh, and then there's this lady sitting next to me, and uh, she's a young lady, and she is a, a very, uh, seem a professional kind of a person, and she had been in professional rodeo, 
Uh, she had experimented with all kinds of things, barrel racing, and she'd even rode bulls before. And I didn't think anything of it other than I remember saying, Father, this trip, I know I'm going to be tempted in many ways, but you know, my prayer, I, I want to not act independent of you. I want to somehow learn the rhythm of responding to you, even when things don't make sense to anybody around me. And so I just want to be available. Now, at that time when I prayed that, I was not wanting to talk to anybody on the plane. I get on the plane, I just want to sit back and relax and look forward to the... And so we get ready to take off, and the person next to me begins to have a full-blown panic attack. <laughs> and I'm looking over here. Lord, I didn't mean it right now. <laughs> and I said, Holy Spirit, how are you wanting to love this girl? And I felt very strongly that there was something that the Holy Spirit wanted to do for this girl. He says, I want you to, to reach out and hold her hand. I said, you know what that looks like? And I said, let me check it first. Hey, Nancy, Nancy had, Nancy had already seen the panic. And I said, do you mind if I hold it? She goes, hold it. Yes, go ahead. So I said, do you mind if I hold your hand? She grabbed my hand. She squeezed it. And I said, I want to do something for you. I'm going to squeeze your hand, and as the pressure of my squeezing your hand, I want you to breathe in at the same pressure that I'm squeezing your hand, and let's just slow your breathing down. And as you're breathing in, I'm just going to tell you that God has you. God's in love with you. You're not going down on the plane today. And when I release your hand, I want you to exhale. And I said, God has a future for you. Now, I don't know if we were going to crash. I, I, did, I have a theory about that. I believe if we're going to crash, I'm going to have an incredible peace because God grants me everything I need pertaining to life. I didn't have a credible peace about for crashing, so I said, I don't think we're going down. And somehow, God ministered to that lady. Now, if you didn't know the story, and all you knew was here is this old man grabbing this young girl's hand, sitting a stranger in the airport, you'd say, that's inappropriate. A lot of times I miss the cue. A lot of times we miss the cue. But I do feel that it says in the scriptures that when I respond to that gentle whisper and that call, then the next things will be clearer and clearer. I believe that many times that when I get there and in 1 Corinthians and the fire is tested, I think many messages that I gave you will be burned up and consumed. That maybe I did them in my own strength, in my own power, and my wrong motive. And I don't know how many will be left, but my fine linens and your fine linens are only, only those things that you allowed the Spirit of God to dwell through you. And when you have those fine linens, those are the rewards that you and I get. And I believe there's some things that we'll do with those rewards, but we're not going to go into it today. But I think one thing that will remain, I think, I think one 
row or at least crown I'll get as I reached out and grabbed a stranger's hand. Let's pray. Father, you are such a mystery. You said the things that you do cannot be explained. Only the Spirit of the living God can reveal them to us. We can't understand them in flesh and blood. And I pray right now that the people that right now today, maybe you've lifted a veil, as you said in 2 Corinthians, when they can't see because the veil of Moses and the law still remains over them, but there will be a day when that veil's lifted, then I would pray that they would react to that today. They would not go home and act the same way they have before in the past. That this would be a life-changing day for them. I remember when you first revealed this to me, and I realized I may not be very perfect at this, but I knew I would never live the same the rest of my life. I pray that whoever has somehow received that today, that they would respond. Holy Spirit, do a work in their life. Let them become containers that would reveal you to a lost world. And thank you that we get to look forward to the day that all of this flesh and this world system and the demonic things are gone and that we'll sigh a relief and we'll live in perfect unity with you. Let us practice for the remaining days what that will look like. And we ask it not in our own name, but the name of Jesus. Amen. That thing has a mind of its own. Sorry.